0: Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean Basin. I'm joined today with Dr. Adam Schwartz for a conversation about the Greek hoplites. Dr. Schwartz is an associate professor at the University of Copenhagen based in Denmark. He specializes in Greek history, especially the Archaic and Classical Periods. He's written numerous publications over his career, including the book Reinstating the Hoplite, Arms, Armor, and Phalanx Fighting in Archaic and Classical Greece*, which was published by Franz Steiner Verlag. And Dr. Schwartz joins us today from Denmark. Welcome to the call, Adam. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. It's it's something I've been looking forward to. Me too. I've been looking forward to chatting with you as well, Adam. Okay, so uh, what were hoplites?
1: Well, they were um they were greek heavy-armed foot soldiers greek heavy-armed infantry which were the mainstay of greek land-based armies in the archaic and classical period um right from from when they emerge out of the dark ages as we call them and, and on until past really the uh, macedonian takeover of, uh, of greece mainland greece and they uh, they comprised as as said, the mainstay of, of, of greek uh, citizen militias, as, as these armies really were, and um, they were what constituted the army more or less. They, of course, you had other arms as well, as well, but they seem to be. Well, there seems to be a certain bias against these other arms in, in our uh, various sources. Hoplites were sort of what you, what you uh, counted on and what mattered um, in, in this culture.
0: Okay, and. What do scholars know about the etymology or origins of the term hoplites? Is that a term that modern day scholars created as a neologism or were Greek people back then calling um, this type of infantry um, uh, hoplites and obviously a a Greek uh, type word? Um,
1: Now, while while it is the case with many of these words that they are neologisms, something constructed in in modern times, this one actually has a classical pedigree. It's what they were called back then. And the etymology is is reasonably clear. Um, Inside the word is the word hoplon, uh, in plural, hopla, which means uh, armor, gear, equipment, something like that, which makes a hoplite or a hoplites, he so would be in Greek makes uh, makes him a, a man who, who carries a, a set of gear a set of weapons, if you will. You you may also um, note the similarity with the, uh, the term panoply, which uh, exists as an English loan word, but it also has a Greek pedigree panoplia, which means all the weapons. So a full set of, of arms and armor really. So a uh, applied by that designation is, is someone who, uh, who um is equipped with with a full set of, of, of arms and armor and uh it has been attempted to link the the hoplon part of the word specifically to the shield which has been felt to be well, which is really crucial to to what a hoplite really is all about but um it it seems to to fall on its face because the word almost always used for the shield is is the standard word for shield as piece. In, in Greek and, and, and not hoplites. Um, Though, of course, I suppose that hoplites might refer to their shield as their, their gear, their piece of equipment, or, or what have you. But it, it really does mean a, a man of equipment, a man of weapons, what have you.
0: That was an excellent answer, Adam. Thank you Thank for you. expanding on that. And uh, we'll certainly get to equipment at some point in the conversation. Uh, okay. how, how do historians know about hoplites? Like if you think about the like the records, how do how do contemporary people know that hoplites existed in Greece?
1: Well, there are different types of source that um, that that helps delineate these uh, these these figures for us. Um, primarily for me at least, as as a, uh, as a classical scholar, primarily the written sources uh, from from classical and archaic periods, which uh, mention hoplites all the time um mm-hmm. greek historiography is almost always the history of wars that means that hoplites uh, crop up in the sources um frequently and uh, given that they are that that war was such a an uh, ubiquitous feature of of greek life greek culture it also crops up in in, in other types of sources in poetry in uh, in lyrics in drama in, in, in what have you and outside the written sources um Hoplites also populate, uh, Greek, Greek art. So in, in reliefs, in, in mm. statues, in, uh, vase images and, and uh, um, figurines and statuettes and, and uh, almost any other medium you can think of, uh, hoplites are, are there as well. And in addition to this, we have actually, uh, actual weapons finds because, uh, fortunately for us, the Greeks had a habit of, of, um, dedicating captured arms. in uh, in, in Greek sanctuaries, such as Olympia or Delphi, um, dedicating to to the gods there, um, frequently with an inscription um, stating who the victor was and who they uh, uh, took them from. And so we have uh, rather large amounts of of those parts of the uh, armor, which was bronze, that is uh, primarily helmets, breastplates, and then sometimes the shield rims.
0: Okay. Can you recall what the, at least in your research, as you've gone through all this, uh, the first reference in um, the records of hoplites, or at least one of the first, I mean, when you kind of think back to, to the research you've done?
1: Oh, well, um, that, that depends really on whether you want the word hoplite appearing for the first time or or a description of something which clearly is a hoplite, though perhaps not um, said to be one. Yeah, because uh, in in that case, there are certainly um, some some, some very old descriptions of warrior types, which we would not hesitate to call hoplites, even though the name itself may not uh, make an appearance. Um, They are certainly present in in the uh, the poetry of Tertius, the the Spartan warrior poet of the the 7th century uh, before Christ, and uh, there are also passages in the Iliad which um, very strongly suggest that that this this indicates some sort of of phalanx fighting, if you will. but, but uh, I, I, the, the first emergence of the word hoplite, I'm, I'm really
0: not sure. No, that's... But, uh, yeah, the answer is still good. Yeah, you, you described a few um, citations there in the past. I think that, uh, you know, that, that's helpful. Okay, so were hoplites strictly infantry? And what I'm, what I'm getting at with that question is, were they strictly, you know, you know foot soldiers that the purpose was to fight? Um, or at some point did hoplites, let's say, were they, uh, cavalry, did they use horses? Was a hoplites, um, ever more supportive or ancillary positions within an army and they were still deemed a hoplite, but they didn't fight. Um, so what's the, uh, yeah. So can you speak more about that? Were hoplites strictly meant to, to fight on foot or does, or, or can that go beyond that?
1: That's a good question. Um, the thing about hoplites is that, um, in the purest form, if you will, um, they are quite heavily armed. They, uh, they they carry some some quite heavy equipment. The, the arms and armour um, will add quite a bit of weight. So the nature of the hoplite is to function inside the phalanx um, in in a, in a closely uh, a close formation near to his, his fellows, it is primarily defensive formation, um, which, which really stresses the, the defensive capabilities of, of, uh, close formation of these warriors. Um, whereas outside this formation, he, uh, he is, he, how applied is, is, um, well, out of his league really against other warrior types, lighter warrior types, more nimble, uh, quicker and lighter armed. So. Um, this, this means that, that in the field, they were almost invariably infantry, though we can, we can see that in, uh, in, in, some archaic art, we, we find portrayals of what appears to be hoplites, uh, mounted on horseback. This may of course not suggest anything more than that. They, 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 rode to, to wherever the battle was to take place and then dismounted and fought on mm. foot because fight on foot, they certainly did. Um not that uh cavalry didn't exist it did and uh it was it was used but but um cavalrymen were equipped and fought in a a very different way um from 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 what hoplites did so um no the the formation is is primarily defensive uh and and uh, it is it is a formation that is ideal for for this type of warrior really which does not um so much require uh training and skills in, in weapons handling but, but uh resiliency and uh and, and steadfastness and, and courage, uh unflinching courage in front of the enemy are the, the values that are sought primarily in a hard flight. If he's handy with a spear that's that's all very uh very fine. But but it's really not what's required so much as, as his uh his uh willingness to, to stick it out.
0: Okay, so as one of the material attributes of hoplites is that they uh, use the phalanx tactic yes. in battle. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay.
1: I would I would say so certainly yes because uh, the the phalanx uh, and and the hoplite coexist and, and one really doesn't uh, do much good without the other. Um, it it seems. I, I alluded earlier on to, to uh, hoplite tactics or something of like being described in the Iliad. And it, it may well be, I, in fact, I think it's the case that, that the hoplite, um, the, the, the fully fledged hoplite evolved as a response to some very specific battlefield needs, namely those felt in, in, in a phalanx. So um, the, the weapons and, and armor used here were probably, probably evolved. Um, for use in in a in a closed formation, a mass formation of of, uh, of infantry.
0: What was hoplites used in almost all Greek city states in the in the period that we're speaking about? So, like if we call it like the ancient period, generally, um, or were yes. there or were there more prominent uh, city states that uh, used them, and then others may. Um, may not have used hoplites at all? Well,
1: um, there were certain variations within this, uh, this, this uh, paradigm, if you will. Um, it seems that uh, in Crete, for example, the, the large southern island of Crete, hoplites were not really a thing, um, or not, certainly not um, a prominent uh, arm uh, during the archaic and classical period. Um, creative is rather mountainous, and apparently what was uh, focused on there was was archers and uh, uh, slingers and javelin throwers and, and, and that sort of, of uh, light arm infantry. But um, the, the overall picture is very much one of, of uh, every city-state at least attempting to field some sort of a hoplite army as the uh, as the, the mainstay of, of their armed forces. It does not mean, of course, that there is not an, 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 uh, an evolution going on. And as we as we come down in the classical age and approach the Peloponnesian War, from 431 onwards, then we find that uh, experimentation is quite clearly being done with, with combining different arms and relying on, on other sorts of operation with other uh, other warrior types. And uh, of course, the, the uh, uh, Prime example here is Athens, the, the city-state of Athens, which, um, since the Persian Wars, had relied heavily on their navy, which was, uh, for a time at least, uh, the undisputed master of the Aegean Sea, and which, um, which was the pride of Athens, which was uh, vastly the the greatest, the greatest, uh, the greatest um, bit of expenditure in, in the finances of Athens. Um, mm-hmm. Athens also fielded hoplites, but but their military power, when they when they were an empire, did uh, did really um, rely on, on the on the fleet, not not the hoplites as much, but um, they they needed to be able to field hoplites, and and so they did, but um, they were not in that respect, um, especially outstanding when compared to 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 other Greek city states of the period, here. Uh, they consciously, consciously uh, relied on, on their fleet, on the Navy. Okay, so, so, so certainly other other arms ex- existed and were uh, more and more experimented with, but it, it, uh, it, it took some doing and it took some time before we we get to that point, because our were all, always um, uh, the most important element of, of any fighting force, culturally, at least. So, so, Culturally and politically, they were um, in power in most places. It was really what it was all about.
0: Is anything in the record that indicates that uh, a woman or women uh, served as hoplites at all, whether um, very specifically, so it's um, explicitly stated, or uh, historians speculate in some way, or was it strictly men that served as hoplites?
1: Um, I know of, of I don't know if anything that's says preserved in, in the sources describing something like that, it, 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 it may not be impossible. But the, the cultural norm very much was that, that uh, men dealt with the, uh, the warfare, and the, the women uh, took care of the home front, if you will. So um, it would be very unusual for, for a woman to, to appear on, on the battlefield. This also, of course, has to do with the fact that that in most places, um, there was an intimate connection between those who could defend the territory and those who had political rights. In other words, in, in many city-states, you had to be a hoplite—you had to be able to afford hoplite arms and armor and participate in the phalanx in order to have any political rights to begin with. And since women were largely, in, in, uh, in this period uh, in Greece as a whole, excluded from, from occupying office and, and uh, voting in the assembly and, and all that. Um, that would that would create a uh, an embarrassing situation if if they participated in defense and had no political rights. So, I think there was an in this patriarchal um, society, there was an overwhelming um, cultural pressure to 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 exclude women from from the military as well.
0: Okay, and was it strictly citizens, as the Greeks would define citizens at that point, that um, could be hoplites, or did um, or in the records, were some non-citizens ever served served as hoplites, and or uh, or did any people that were enslaved ever serve as hoplites in the records?
1: Yes, it's it it, it may it may seem surprising, but that seems to be the case. Um, in in Athens, for one, we we uh, we have these metics, as they're called, that is, um, strangers residing in Athens but without full uh, citizen rights. And uh, they were expected to pay their taxes, and they were uh, expected to to uh, they were expected to 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 uh, to be enlisted as as hoplites if their economical status permitted that. So um, okay. that's at least one example of of uh, non-full citizens participating as, as hoplites and, and as a regular uh, feature of the army. And we also know of uh, Sparta, which was this. Um, this, uh, nightmarishly uh, repressive apartheid state, which kept the, the uh, original Mycenaean population in serfdom in perpetuity. But, uh, during certain times of, of crisis, they, uh, they actually, um, relied on, on, on these, uh, helots. They, they, they gave them applied equipment and, and let them fight alongside themselves and promised them citizenship as a reward for doing so. And it, it seems to have worked out really. In addition to that we know that the Spartans uh, normally Spartan hoplites brought uh Hillard attendants with them into war as their oh, I don't know, shield bearers and, and personal um adjutants and, and, and whatnot. But um the degree to which they normally uh, participate in the actual fighting is, is uh is, is a bit difficult to
0: gauge. Okay. Um you mentioned enlisting as a as a term so yes. let's touch on conscription then. So um, were these uh, full-time, in some cases, soldiers? Were they part-time? Were they required to um, as a result of, um, uh, let's, let's say, in uh, being a citizen and, and having enough money? I think you mentioned a couple of those things, right? Um, were they required if uh, the city-state was going to war? They had to go and fight. Can you speak more about were they full-time, part-time? Uh, were they required, not required, etc.?
1: Yes, certainly. Um, again, as, as with almost all of this, the 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 the, uh, the one city-state we know uh, the most about is, is Athens. Um, to the point that it almost excludes all the others, but but in, in Athens certainly we know that that people were called up for service before uh, this or that campaign. Um, much much as uh, There is a concept called the catalogos, the same word as catalogue, of course, which is a a list of of uh, eligible draftees, if you will, which uh, which was posted uh, somewhere in, in the in the in the, the agora marketplace. Um, in the in the time leading up to a campaign and people could check there whether they were called out to serve um the debate of course is whether there was kept a uh, central register of, of all eligible persons for this or how it actually functioned um and this i think has never been uh, determined to anyone's satisfaction but the fact remains that the people did get called up for service and it was very much a, uh, a part-time thing because uh, the the remarkable thing is that almost no Greek city-states uh, kept a standing army as we know it. The glaring ex- exception, as usual, is is Sparta, which uh, resembled no other Greek city-state, and they, they uh, expected their uh, their full citizens to to uh, to have war as a full-time occupation, to train for war, to to. To study war to fight to to be on, on guard duty and, and, and all that um this was only possible because as i said they had uh, subjugated the original population of nicene so that they had these hellers to to uh, work their fields for them elsewhere uh how Plides and indeed other warriors were were well were parts of a militia, really a citizen militia, which was called up as, as uh, the need arose. There were no standing uh, forces as such, but you were called out for a campaign. And this this, uh, this links interestingly with, with the fact that um, as far as we can tell, there were no attempts, at least we know of none to to organize communal training or drill or, or exercise of uh, any of those things. this, this uh, really ties back to what I mentioned earlier about this, uh, the phalanx and the hoplite being a warrior and a formation type, which was suited for, for um, amateurs at war, if you will, it required very little training, but, but, uh, but, um, but on the other hand uh, demanded a lot in terms of of, of fortitude and steadfastness and and, uh, resiliency and and so forth, but um, no no, no standing armies as such, except we do know that that some city states like uh, Argos for one and a few others did have some um, core contingents or or, uh, whatever you'd like to call them of of picked soldiers who were equipped and trained uh, uh, with public uh, funds. So they were a sort of elite core within the the general call up of of, uh, soldiers for any campaign.
0: Okay. And you've mentioned the phalanx um, a few times, and you expanded on it a little bit earlier. Can you, um, just in case someone's listening and still wondering, um, what was the what was the phalanx? Can you um, can you summarize what that tactic was in battle? Yes, um,
1: it's it's a fairly simple one, so I, I should be able, I think. <laughs> um, the phalanx is uh, is is uh, well, we don't usually not often come across the term in like Hagen classical sources, it's a bit later, but it applies well enough. It's a, it's a close formation of, of, uh, well, typically in this connection hoplites who, um, stand in, in, in rows and lines. Frequently the, the normal depth we hear is, is, uh, is eight hoplites from the front ranks to the super rear. And the, 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 the width of, of the phalanx is then, um, t- determined by how many hoplites you, you have keeping a, a depth of, 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 eight men. And this, uh, uh, this is, this is, this is what it is really. You, uh, you, you deploy it on, on some, uh, field, uh, when you've sighted the enemy and the enemy should uh, hopefully do much the same. And you, you point these uh, blunt instruments towards each other and, and, uh, march uh, in one direction, and then the battle is on. Um, again, because because training was not something that was, was done, it was it was time consuming, and it, it, it required money. And, and no one was really interested in, in doing that um, when they had better things to do. So um, the phalanx was a very simple instrument, uh, tactical maneuvers and, and, uh, and uh, complicated drills were usually not possible. You, you you pointed it in the direction it had to go, and you trusted to luck, and, and stamina, more or less.
0: Okay, thank you. I, I,
1: I don't know, if, how, how's that for a description? It's excellent.
0: Yeah, it's excellent. Um, someone can email Adam if they felt it wasn't sufficient. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. they <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, are welcome, really. Uh, 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 okay, um, let's, let's talk about... Um, uh, if there were any reward, uh, if there was a reward system in place for hoplites, they're going, they're going to battle, they're risking their their lives. You did mention that yes. helots were, which were enslaved uh, people in Sparta, um, could uh, potentially, it sounds like, obtain uh, citizenship, right? If uh, if if they yes. if they fought, um, was there any uh, any other uh, rewards that uh, uh, hoplites could obtain if they served
1: um not that we know of really um it was it was expected that that uh, one do one's duty and uh be thankful at that, that for being able to participate as a as a warrior and as a uh, as a citizen in, in in his city state but uh we do find a few references in in plato i think to something called the aristeia which it's uh, etymologically links to Aristos, which means the best, the bravest. So it's it's a prize for valor, which uh, was apparently uh, given out uh, amongst the, the soldiers. But the whole the whole point of a phalanx is that it's it's a it's a it's a common enterprise. It's something you, you share in. So there's there's very little room for for what we see in the Iliad of, of glorious individual feats. But nevertheless, uh, they may have have been able to, to piece together afterwards what went down and and who was especially brave. And so, so we we find in uh, in, in Plato's Symposium there's a uh, there's a description of of how one of his Socrates actually who who keep the calm during retreat and, and perhaps uh, save the lives of one or more of their uh, of their fellow uh, of their countrymen. And, and so that that may have been noticed and that may have been enough to to get someone the, the prize for ballot for that day but but no uh, remuneration as such no no award uh, apart from that
0: really no okay um is there any uh hoplites where their speci- specific names were mentioned um in the in the records that are are notable and worth mentioning
1: you, you're thinking here of, of individual hoplites
0: mm-hmm. yeah like like they they demonstrated some uh particular valor in in battle they did something that helped oh. shift you know the uh, pivotal moment uh towards victory like was there any um specific names that came out in the in the records that were no, noteworthy that's worth mentioning not mm,
1: as such no um, it, there's, there's a famous story in herodotus um, um, where uh, Solon, the, the, the wise of, of Athens uh, lists as an example of a perfectly happy person, some some unknown Athenian called Telis, who had the good fortune to have children and live a long and happy life and all that. And then he, uh, he fell in a moment of glory, just in the uh, just in the, the moment when the enemy was routed, he, he fell, uh, covering himself in glory there. So that, that I mean, that's something like that yes certainly descriptions like these but i i don't know of any which are recorded in inscriptions if uh, for example uh, listing someone for, for for personal exceptional bravery but there are, there are many of these vignettes you might say in the in, in the sources relating what this that or the other did
0: okay was the herodotus one was that the battle of thermopylae or something else
1: um, no, this was uh, this was just a, a battle. I don't think he even specifies who the enemy is. Some some other Greek city states, but um, it's it's <laughs> there's there's you, there's enough to, to choose from because the Greeks were, as any city state culture really, they were warring all the time, they were really at each other's uh, throats constantly. It was something like Italy in, in the Middle Ages. So, um, war, it could be said was was the uh, the baseline, was was... A, the normal state of affairs, whereas peace peace was, of course, wanted and, and wished for, but, but not, not that common. Mm. So we don't know what battle this was, but um, Xenophon writing of his uh, horrible retreat from, from, from Persia, um, also mentions by name, some, some hoplites he clearly knew when they do something spectacular, or if they, they uh, fall with honor or something like that. So, um, Yes, they, they are mentioned sometimes by by historians, but it seems that um, from a, from a political or ideological standpoint seen from a city state, it was not desirable to, to single out people for for, uh, for, for, uh, for feats of valor because it was it was um, it was desirable that that the, the victories were, were a shared effort something everyone uh, had a share in. Okay. Which I think is reinforced again by, by the, the uh, communal nature of the phalanx.
0: Okay, um, understood. Okay, um, can you summarize then, you, you mentioned um, some uh, of the equipment that was used in the past. You, mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, you mentioned shield, spear, etc. Can you summarize what the fundamental pieces of equipment um, that existed that were used by hoplites and if uh these pieces of equipment evolved at all uh over yes. uh over time i uh, i think
1: it can and mm-hmm. and uh, to begin with what uh, you finish on the, the it certainly did evolve that's for sure um the absolute bare minimum the the, the minimum requirement for performing as a plight is a shield and a spear The spear is the primary offensive weapon for the very obvious reason that it has a much better reach than uh, than a sword has, and so it's uh, it's uh, you you <laughs> you can easily, more easily, reach uh, the enemy. So that's the uh, the primary weapon. In fact, you might say that that where the sword um, is the weapon of choice as a symbol in our culture, the sword of justice and and, uh, and, and all that, the that role is fulfill, uh, is fulfilled by the spear in uh, for the Greeks. Uh, the word for prisoner of war or war booty actually translates literally to taken by the spear. Um, So the spear is is, uh, both in in reality and in culture, the the primary, the most important thing, the shield, on the other hand, is uh, is also necessary and and not just for personal protection, because this uh, large uh, circular concave shield, concave seen from from the standpoint of the wearer, is um is, is rather large and, and, and rather heavy and clumsy uh, it's it's uh, there is a central armband in the, in the, in the middle that you mm-hmm. slide your arm through out to the edge where there is a handle that you grip and in this way the shield is uh, is, is rested on two points on your lower arm that uh, relieves some of the weight but it does make it uh, even more clumsy. Something you don't um, whip about and, and parry with. It's something you you cower beneath and, and crouch behind and, and so on. And um, this is really difficult without an illustration. But the way yeah. you stand sideways on, with your left side forward, as in any type of combat, with a shield held out in front of you, um, gripped from from the centre to to the right, means that the left hand side of your shield does not so much protect you as provide cover for the one to your left whose right hand side is unprotected. The upshot of this is that when you close shields and when you, when you close ranks and and, uh, and, and uh, the shields touch or very near, then you gain some measure of protection from your neighbor covering your unprotected right side. This is extremely important uh, it, 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 it's what gives the cohesion to the, to the phalanx' as formation. It's what allows it not to be, to be penetrated and, and, and broken. Um, if, if you can manage to keep the shield, uh, the locked shield, the shield wall intact. And it's also assuredly why we, we find that there are such heavy penalties everywhere for uh, throwing your shield in combat. Both in Athens and Sparta, we, we know for a fact that this means uh, what they call atimia, which means loss of your citizen rights. It's, uh, it's it's it means cowardice. It means uh, cowardice on, on, on the battlefield, because you you uh, you betray your uh, brothers and arms when you when you throw down your shield. You can't protect them anymore. So, in uh, Plutarch's Spartan aphorisms, as a king, I forget which one, who says that um, the shield is the only piece of equipment that uh, that uh, the the the, the a man carries, not for his own sake, but for that of the entire line. So mm. the the shield is absolutely crucial in, in, in this, and um, it's a it's a pretty refined uh, piece of, of, of technology actually. It, it it cannot have been cheap to to come by.
0: Mm-hmm. Honor comes into the tradition. It sounds like
1: very much so. Yes, mm-hmm. you uh, the the uh, it's it's a it's a it's a common term for for in. Uh, in in in, uh, in in greek in the sources it which means uh, shield thrower it's it's a coward someone who's run away uh, who's deserted his, his post and, and all that it, it can be summarized as such someone who threw down his shield mm.
0: okay a couple questions about um kind of drilling in on the, ma- the material so um Actually, the first question is about the size. So, were these shields uh, fairly, fairly large? So they covered most of the main part of the body, or were they more like bucklers? They were much uh, smaller. Let's let's start with that question. Yes, they
1: were, they were certainly not bucklers. Um, uh, as I said, they were they were heavy and they were clumsy to wield. Um, we have. We've excavated quite a few uh, specimens and, and normally the the wooden core and the leather facings and, and what may, else may have been there is of course um um decomposed and has long since vanished. but we can normally and in many cases gauge the size of the original shield by the uh, preserved shield rim because the the rim of the shield was invariably faced with a, a bronze rim to mm. uh, well for decoration of course but also to prevent it from the the individual planks from from um, splitting apart with with uh, sword chops and, and so on um, sort cuts so on average I would say they are about um, ninety centimeters I if you want that in feet I'm I'm at a
0: loss <laughs> go to, if you want it in feet go to Google <laughs> right exactly
1: um, <laughs> some some are smaller and some are are larger, but on average, I think you'll find they are about ninety uh, centimeters. So that's that's uh that's the size of a small uh, card table, or something like mm-hmm. that. You 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 lug mm-hmm.
0: around. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for mentioning a couple of the uh, specific pieces of material because I was going to ask that next. Um, the, the spears. What was the the tips typically made of, and what 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 were the shafts made of?
1: Uh, the spears. Mm-hmm, yes, we, we we find that uh, some there are a few references to to corner wood actually as the material of choice for the for the spear shaft. And it seems that uh, iron was normally the material of choice for the tip for the for the for the spear blade. Um, then again, uh, very characteristic for Greek hoplite spears at the other end of the spear there was a uh, a spare tip, if you will which was uh, typically a very elongated pyramid in shape, and it was usually made of bronze. It's, uh, it's frequently referred to as a Saurotere, that means a, a lizard killer, a lizarder. Um, I think that's a, must be some sort of slang term, because the point of it, obviously, is that if the, spo- the spear breaks, the point breaks off during combat, then you can reverse the grip, and then you have a reserve spear, um, which still has longer reach than a sword. And also, you can you can uh, you can lean it and stick it into the ground without the the end uh, spindling or decaying. So they they have both, but but the the uh, the business end at, at the front is uh, is is uh, iron or, or depending on the the uh, sensitive carbon, of course, some uh, what we would call steel.
0: Okay, and I don't know if you mentioned this. You might have. Uh, how long were the shafts? Uh... The spears rather typically and uh did they did they grow or shrink over time in size
1: um this is a difficult one because mm-hmm. um because while we found a lot of uh, defensive weapons of armor uh, dedications in the sanctuaries uh, I, I don't think that's the case so much with spears and and since the spear shaft tends to rot away uh, you may not be left with anything left to, to measure so um it's 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 uh, quite a bit guesswork but it seems to have been normally between 1.8 and 1 uh, 2.4 meters long so from uh, from above the the average male height today to quite a bit longer
0: Okay. And what was the, um, you did say it, uh, what was the type of wood that was common?
1: Um, Cornel is, is uh, referred to in, in, a, in a few cases. So that, that may have okay. been uh, a, a, a good choice for that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, excellent. Okay. Closing question. Um, when does this position hoplites as a concept, as an entity, when do, when is it believed that this position uh, ends? It uh, stops existing. Uh,
1: yeah, in in uh, as, as it stops being a, a factor in military history. Yes. Yes. Well, um, obviously it was a bit of a, uh, a blow to the to the the, the the arm as such when when uh, Philip II the, uh, the second of Macedon um, conquered all of Greece. Uh, within um, a decade or two, really. Um, he, he, you might say he, he took the phalanx to his logical conclusion by by um, compressing the ranks even more and, and uh, diminishing the, the shields and, and giving his, his soldiers uh, enormously long lances so that uh, very many of these lance heads protruded protruded in front of the, the, the phalanx. Um, and this, uh, this combined with the with the with the combined use of, of of cavalry and infantry and, and other arms um and a professional outstanding army allowed him to eliminate everything the the other greek city-states had to field in, in the middle of the fourth century uh, before christ and so um at this point it, it, it ceases to be uh, a factor a, a player in in in, uh, in 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 major historical events to be sure, they they the, the city states did keep their their hoplite infantry for, for, for decades to come, and, and I'm sure they fought uh, local conflicts with them. And we also know that that some parts of, of Alexander Philip's sons Alexander the Great's army um, also had had uh, Greek hoplites in them. So they they did go on for a while, but but it cannot be denied be denied that at by this point they were. Uh, fast on the way to becoming militarily irrelevant when faced with the uh, the Macedonian phalanx so um, from the 330 BC you know, they, they begin a slow and steady decline and and from from 338 from the Battle of Keoneea they uh, they are no longer a, a major factor in in deciding uh, the military history of Greece
0: okay. This has been a very informative conversation, Adam, and I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been great fun.
0: So again, everybody, the book that I referenced at the start of the episode that Dr. Schwartz wrote, Reinstating the Hoplite, Arms, Armor, and Phalanx Fighting in Archaic and Classical Greece. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the Ithacabound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Adam and everybody listening, as always... Wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Bye. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.